you have to watch out when you get on that scale because it turns out that what's in your mind can really influence what happens with your metabolism. When you see that number on the scale, if you're not happy with it, your metabolism will slow down just because of your what's called body image dissatisfaction. So it may be better not to weigh yourself every day. <laughs> you know, do you, here's a crazy question. I mean, literally, should I just throw my, my scale in the trash? Yes. Okay. <laughs> you heard it. You heard it here, folks. America's garbage cans are going to be full of bathroom scales. This is Fat Science, a podcast dedicated to the science of why we get fat. No diets, no agendas, just science that makes you feel better. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to replace professional medical advice. I'm Dr. Emily Cooper. I've been treating patients with metabolic issues for over 25 years. I'm on a mission to raise awareness about metabolic dysfunction and why diets don't work. Hi, I'm Andrea Taylor. I've been fat, very fat, chubby, morbidly obese, and done almost every diet ever invented. They all worked until they didn't. I've known Dr. Cooper forever, but when I became her patient and we learned metabolism was the real problem, wow, everything changed, and I've never been healthier. And I'm Mark Wright. It's time for Fat Science. Wait, does this podcast make me look fat? Welcome to Fat Science. I'm your host, Mark Wright, along with Dr. Emily Cooper and Andrea Taylor. It's so great to have you here. Hello. Great to be here. Hi. All right. On the show today, tech, gadgets, and your metabolism, and what works and what doesn't. So when we talk about these tech gadgets, what, what sort of categories are we looking at? I, I kind of think of them in actually just two different categories, if you think about it, because there are gadgets that we can purchase that can actually directly measure something about us. And those are actually not very many things in that category. Then there are other gadgets that are not really directly directly measuring, but they're making assumptions. And so when you look at it, the thing to think about is, is it directly measuring something in my body or is it just making assumptions about me based on just calculations of the normal population predicted levels. But I guess the real question, Dr. Cooper, is why do we have all these gadgets? I mean, it, when it comes down right down to it, we don't need these things to, to be healthy, do we? No, we definitely don't need them to be healthy. And I, it's understandable why people want to know more about their body and what it's doing and how it's working. And I think it can get to cross a line where it actually becomes unhealthy to be looking in such to such outside sources for answers about our body because our body gives us a lot of messages internally that are just automatic and if we turn to these external sources to a large extent we kind of lose our instinct and our perception of ourselves and we're relying and over-relying on this outside technology so I think it's a way people feel like they ha can take control of things in their life. So it's not just that they want to measure things. They're looking for those things to give them the answers to solve problems as well. And so that's where we can sometimes take a wrong turn. 
Yeah. But don't you think sometimes we want like the magic answer to everything? <laughs> like if we think, oh, it's out there, we can measure it and we know that it's out there. And if we see that, we can fix it. Yeah, I think exactly. I think it's exactly that. Um, and unfortunately, it's not that good. It's, it's kind of like AI. You know, it's just, it only can go so far. It can give you some information, but then you have to think about, well, how accurate is the information? And what about the interpretation? is how do I interpret that information? Well, it's like you always said at the gym, when you looked at those, the thing on the treadmill that said, oh, you just you know used 50 calories or 100 calories, which of course I would translate as like, oh, I could have half a bagel for that. But like that doesn't mean that. No. Because it's not necessarily accurate and also you shouldn't translate it into food. But that's not always right. Yeah, because that's actually measuring the equipment, not you. It's measuring the speed, the incline, the watts, whatever you're doing on that equipment, but it's not measuring anything about you personally. So that's what that's I mean so by rude. it's not a direct measurement of you versus something like a heart rate monitor. A heart rate monitor is actually measuring your heart rate. But the gym so, equipment and, is not measuring you. It's measuring the equipment. But even those heart rate monitors, like I bought the little heart rate monitor because the big one was too complicated. So I bought the little one that goes on my wrist. And even when I use it, like I'll do it three times and I do get sometimes three different numbers. Yeah, that's the thing too. Because a lot of things will affect the accuracy of the measurement. And so some of that is the methodology that's used in the equipment because heart rate monitors can use all kinds of different types of technology. But, and certain things can influence it as well. So for example, if you're wearing one of those little heart rate detectors that goes on your finger that also measure, measures your oxygen saturation. Oh, yeah, yeah. Those, if your circulation is not good or say you're anemic, they may not pick up all of it. And in fact, if you have dark skin and uh, it may not pick up <laughs> all of the, the reading. What? Yeah. That's something new that they found um, during our pandemic is that people with dark skin, sometimes those oximeters that pick up your heart rate and your oxygen level they overestimate your oxygen level. Um, and so some people that were really struggling with their breathing were missed um, when they were only using that as a technology to detect it. So there's all kinds of things and that can go wrong. I think the main thing is, why do we want to know this information, first of all? Um, what do you intend to do with it? it? Are you just observing or are you going to then trust that information so much that it's going to change your behavior. You know, you're going to use that information to, to make a choice to change your behavior in some area, you know, um, because you think it's going to lead to that magic answer or change your health. And that's where maybe that's not really true. Maybe your reasoning isn't quite right. Like you can observe mm -hmm. the information, but you kind of have to figure out how much of it is accurate and what is it really telling me? And does it really mean that if I change my behavior, there's going to be some kind of health improvement? Yeah. I think we have time to go through a lot of these yeah. gadgets, but I'd love to start out with the gadget that I think we all use. Um, 
just about every day I get on the scale and look at and see what my weight is. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I'm just always kind of curious. But Dr. Cooper, talk about just the bathroom scale as as a gadget that we use. Um, and I'm guessing that it's not a great indicator of health, is it? It is not. And you have to watch out when you get on that scale because it turns out that what's in your mind can really influence what happens with your metabolism. When you see that number on the scale, if you're not happy with it, your metabolism will slow down just because of your what's called body image dissatisfaction. So it may be better not to weigh yourself every day. <laughs> you know, do you, here's a crazy question. I mean, literally, should I just throw my, my scale in the trash? Yes. Okay. <laughs> you heard it. You heard it here, folks. America's garbage cans are going to be full of bathroom scales. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a good practice. I don't think. Um, but, you know, and then some of the scales will tell you your percent body fat and things like that. And it does it through a technology. It's called impedance testing, where it's kind of sending signals through your body and seeing how much that signal is impeded. And based on that, can detect fat versus lean mass, potentially. But things like your hydration status, your dietary status, all of that influences it. And it can you know, be wildly different depending on where you are in terms of your hydration and whether you're avoiding carbs, for example, things that would influence your muscle, water weight, and and, uh, things like that. So those also are not necessarily accurate enough to be valuable. But if people want to look at trends, you know, they could try to control the environment and the way that they're doing the testing to make sure that it's it's the same each time and then monitor the trends, knowing that the numbers may not be accurate. Hmm. Wow. I'd love to, you know, we talked a little bit about the machines at the gym, and it really seems like those machines are just kind of a gross approximation of what might be happening inside of a human body. I'd love, Dr. Cooper, for you to contrast those machines at the gym to the equipment that you have used, very expensive equipment to to measure the effluent, the outflow of air coming from our lungs. Like that's at the very other end of the spectrum in terms of accuracy. How, how does that machine work by comparison? Yes, it's a dramatic uh, difference. And actually the fitness equipment companies vary. Some of them, they're just doing the same formulas. There's predicted formulas of if you're going this fast and your, um, you know, and your, even if you, if they're, if it's collecting your heart rate and your heart rate is this, then probably you're burning this many calories. You know, it's based on equations applied to the general population. That's just not accurate, uh, for most people. Cause it's, you know, most people are not going to fall into that, um, exact measurement at all. But then some of the fitness equipment companies do use companies like my company has done this uh, for some fitness equipment companies where they have a piece of fitness equipment and they want to build in better, more accurate equations into the machine. And so they have us run a variety of different types of people through different settings of the machine wearing that equipment, the gas exchange system. It's called indirect calorimetry, and you wear a mask, and it has to capture all of your breath to be accurate. So it has to be very well sealed, and it has to not only measure 
the content of the oxygen and carbon dioxide in the air, but it also has to measure the volume, the amount of air that's going in and out and the amount of that content. So, And then by doing that, it can actually um, predict how many calories that particular individual is burning and how much of it is coming from carbohydrates versus fats and things like that. And if you combine a 24-hour urine test, you can even find out how much protein is actually being used. So it's a very high-tech, but some companies have actually done that, and then they try to modify those general equations and make them more a little bit apply to a little bit more of the population or get a little bit more in the ballpark for people, but they're still not going to be accurate. And um, there's a lot of pressure with fitness equipment companies because even if they do the accurate testing of their equipment, they may not put that formula in the equipment because they that might make it so that it, they're not competitive with other pieces of equipment that are kind of inflating the amount of calorie burning. So it's all kind of a big game there, and there's nobody monitoring it. So, so when you get on the, these different pieces of equipment, it says you're burning X calories. It's just not you. It's not reliable at all, um, unfortunately. That's so, so sad. So Andrea, you you've shared on the podcast. <laughs> I'm laughing because uh, a few episodes back, Andrea shared with us that she she went to a gym when she was younger called Slenderella. Slenderella which was a gym full of gadgets that actually did the work for you. Come on. It sounded like a good idea. <laughs> Doesn't it? I mean, at the time when we didn't know that much about exercise and fitness, sure. it sounded really good that the thing would go around and around um, and do all the exercise for you and, and tell you that you were doing really well. I'm just picturing Andrea with leg warmers and a headband. Yeah. Yeah. I did have nice outfits. Disco for it. music. I could see yeah. that Andrea, being resurrected. You- I could see that being resurrected yeah. now. It was so good. It was so it good. It would be so popular. It would now. be. It really was. Man, so I had a great workout. Yeah. And I'm not even sore. Andrea, have you you've shared also on the podcast that when you were a kid you started, you know, you were put on diet since about the age of eight. You've tried every diet in the book. And as we've yeah. said, they all worked and until they didn't. But when it comes to gadgets, did you have you did you ever get any gadgets that sort of tracked any of this stuff? There was you? some kind of belt or something, I think, that we bought. I think my mother bought something. I think we bought like a belt thing. It wasn't the thing that shook your tushy like in the 50s, you know, that thing that shook your tushy that, you know, shook the fat off. Which, yeah, like the belt that kind of yeah, wraps around like, your weight. Yeah, that I Love Lucy, yeah. I think, had that. And then there was like a steam thing that you would go in a box, which, I mean, God, if that worked, I would have gone in that. But <laughs> there was some kind of heat belt. And I saw, I actually saw a commercial for it. It was some kind of, it was called a lipo wrap. And you put it on. It said, I think I got it on my Instagram. And, you know, I get a lot of things, as I've told you. I get a lot of things that Instagram tells me I want. And sometimes I click. And then, um, but this was a lipo wrap. And you put it on like a belt, and it just melts everything away. <laughs> and, I mean, if that would work, oh, my God. But I, I know in my brain that's not going to do it. But then you see these things like on TV, you know, like the thing they put a needle in you and suck it, you know, like liposuction. So this yeah. seems like an at-home version, but it 
in my head, I was like, that's like do-it-yourself surgery. Not a good thing. (laughs) Not a good thing. I think we should talk about that. Dr. Cooper, what does, when, when someone undergoes liposuction, um, what, what happens to the metabolism in terms of the brain sort of understanding what the lay of the land is and how does it, how do, what happens when people get liposuction? Yeah, it's really fascinating, but um, we recommend against doing liposuction because it can actually really backfire. Um, you know, right at first, removing a certain amount of body fat artificially that way, like just by taking it out of your body, what happens is leptin, this famous hormone we always talk about, but from the body fat, a very important hormone, that leptin level will drop. And when it does that, it gives the brain the perception that you lost a tremendous amount of weight that's unhealthy, that's dangerous. And so then it starts to trigger weight gain through alterations in your metabolism. And you can gain a tremendous amount of weight, especially this happens to people that don't have a lot of body fat to begin with. Um, or people who start out with a low leptin level due to past diets, a lot of diets that they've been on in the past. But I have seen people gain up to 70 pounds rapidly after liposuction. And that's because the fat itself produces the hormone? Yeah, the fat produces a beneficial, kind of a beneficial hormone called leptin that helps Mm -hmm. reassure our brain and the rest of our body that we have adequate body fat stores. And yeah, and unfortunately with dieting, that leptin can become suppressed to begin with. So then if you go into a procedure like liposuction, they remove the fat and then your leptin levels tank even more. And that triggers your brain to perceive extreme famine, dangerously low body weight, even though it's not, um, it's not low. It's just maybe normal, but your brain is perceiving that your body weight is in a very unhealthy low range. And so it will make these alterations to your metabolism to enable rapid fat regain. And so it's really very powerful when you see it happen. Wow. So you really can't game the system, right? When it comes to your brain's ability to figure out what's going on in the body. Yeah, you can't trick it. It's too sophisticated. It's too smart. Wow. It's to it's meant to protect us from from famine, really, and so it's going to be really powerful. The best thing to do is to avoid all of that. That's why we get a little bit concerned about people that want to biohack so much and track, you know, calories in, calories out, because we know that doesn't work anyway. And now with these new gadgets that supposedly will measure your metabolism that you just like blow into. I mean, that is a real, what I'd call it, real dumbed down version of what we were describing before, where you wear a mask that captures all your air and it's very sophisticated. This is a very rudimentary version of that. That just isn't going to be accurate or very helpful at all. Um, But people want to know, what am I burning and what am I eating and how many calories is that? And then they use the apps and the scales and the things to monitor that too. And that's the question is, why are we doing this? And is just our behavior around all of that, is that weakening our metabolism and making us more prone to going the opposite direction of what we're, what people are actually trying to achieve by doing that? It's kind of like adding to all the stress that then messes with your metabolism yeah. to begin with, because it's like, it's creating some sort of stressful food diary 
that they used to make you do, you know, write down yeah. every morsel of food that you smell or eat or whatever. Yeah. I, I think just, Dr. Cooper, the idea that you raised in this episode, and you've talked about it before, but I don't think the average person has any idea that worrying about weight and worrying about food is enough to cause your metabolism to change. I mean, that's a radical, radical thing that the average person has no idea because we're looking at these gadgets as if all we're doing is measuring the calories in and calories out. That's all we're doing, right? But but it's this whole emotional connection uh, between the brain and the body that is really the key, right? It really is. And it's, it's using something called our limbic system. Um, and, you know, our hypothalamus, which is this lab, sophisticated laboratory detecting all our nutrient levels, interacting with that limbic system, which is our emotional kind of perception of things, um, you know, and then our planning of what we plan to do about it all. All of that is taken into consideration to determine whether our brain needs to take action to protect us from spend, overspending energy, basically based on that so the, so the obsession leads to not being able to lose any weight. Exactly. <laughs> and maybe promoting more weight gain than you had before you started to be so concerned about it. I mean, there is something to say about getting organized with your food and making sure that you are on a consistent eating schedule, not over obsessing about it, but just being consistent with that and not just being totally haphazard. But beyond that, what we really don't want to be doing is eating food at the same time that you're thinking, oh, how many calories is that? And, oh, maybe I shouldn't eat this much or, well, I'll just exercise after. I mean, <laughs> that is called eating restraint. And that is what really can cause all your hormones to just go into a defensive mode. Okay. Let's talk about a gadget that I think you would agree has some benefit, and that is the blood pressure monitor. Um, can you talk about the differences, Dr. Cooper? I think there's like a cuff version, like a, a simpler version versus the, the, you know, the band that goes on, on your upper, on your bicep area. Yes. Well, talk, about, talk about blood pressure monitors and the proper sort of role in our health. Yeah. And we love, doctors love blood pressure monitors. Um, and we also love uh, patients doing their own blood pressure checks too, because studies have shown that it is reliable, you know, to have patients monitor their blood pressure. In fact, a lot of times um, you do get a better, more accurate picture if you have patients monitor over a period of time, different times of day or a specific time of day, the blood pressure. But the monitors matter, like the, the we talked in a previous uh, episode about the size of the cuff needs to be really right. fit you properly. And they're marked. And so you should be able to make sure that it fits properly. If it's too small, it'll read artificially high. If it's too large, it'll read artificially low. So you have to be within the parameters of the cuff size. And I'm not a big fan of the wrist monitors. I know they're easier, but they tend to register higher and they're not very predictable. There might be situations where you have to use that, but I prefer the cuff um, is much, much better and a properly fitted cuff. But then uh, you probably didn't know you're supposed to sit rested for a couple minutes, have your feet firmly planted on the ground, and you're supposed to empty your bladder first. Hmm. 
to get it accurate. Not while you're doing your blood yeah, pressure. Yeah, right. Not <laughs> while. But that makes the read that makes the reading much more accurate. And people also are not aware that our blood pressure is usually the highest in the morning when we wake up. So when you tell your patients, "Hey, I want you to keep track of your blood pressure and write it down." What's the appropriate way to do that and journal it? You know, I I prefer people because our blood pressure is the highest in the morning when we wake up. I like them to measure it within an hour of waking up in the morning. And the reason it's higher is because it's stressful for our body to go from sleep to awake. And so the stress hormones are highest there and it really aggravates it. But that's also why most strokes and heart attacks occur in the morning, in the early morning. And so when we take blood pressure medicine, you want to take it at night so that it's really active in your system in those early morning hours. But so the time of day you measure it is important. And, you know, your doctor might not want care if you measure it in the morning or not, but I prefer to see that high point in the morning. And you want to do all the process you're supposed to, which is empty the bladder, have your feet firmly planted on the ground, sit for a couple of minutes, get a good measurement. And then there's the upper number, which is the systolic, the lower number, which is the diastolic. And most heart, most blood pressure monitors also give you a heart rate. So then Ideally, you either want to store that in the memory of the monitor and then print it out or just document those three numbers and the time of day. And any other notes that you have about, oh, I didn't get any sleep last night or I forgot to take my blood pressure medicine last night, things like that that might be pertinent. And then we usually recommend tracking it over a period of time because one reading isn't really enough. In fact, if you go to your physician's office, they really want to see three elevated readings before they put you on like a blood pressure medicine, unless it's mm. super high. Um, so if you could just track over time, a couple of times a week, maybe for a few weeks to get a sense of what it's doing. But again, we don't want to over like over obsess <laughs> about it. Yeah, yeah. But, but Dr. Cooper, you take that within an hour of getting up, but then do you want to take it maybe midday and then before bed, or does it matter when you report back to your doctor? I don't recommend, I don't, uh, well, there are times where depending on the time of day that you're taking certain medicines, you might want to get it checked when that medicine is at its low point. Like say you take your blood pressure medicine at night. Well, you might want to check another one right before you take it at night so that that would be when the blood pressure medicine is at its lowest point in your system. And you want to make sure that your blood pressure is not, you know, is fully under control at that time as well. So that might be a good time. But I think it's individual based on the individual, like when you want to take it, how many times you want to take it before reporting. And it probably is a good idea to take it twice um, instead of just once because, you know, if you just were sitting down, even though you were sitting for a couple minutes, if you see that after you took it a second time, the numbers are much lower then you might want to say, well, let me check it one more time. So if those first two don't uh, correlate, you may want to even check a third time. But uh, And what do you think are the good numbers again? Well, with the new guidelines, they're so strict. Um, but under below 120 over 80. So upper number less than 120, lower number less than 80. That is right. what's considered optimal for adults. Kids, it's a little bit different. Um, kids should be lower and that's based more on their height actually, (laughs) and their gender and their age. 
Let's talk about smartwatches, Dr. Yeah. Cooper, and the, the data that they can give us. Is there any value to knowing what your, your heart rate is? And I think some of the watches claim that they can they can measure the quality of your sleep at night. I'm not quite sure how that works, but I'd love your opinion on that. Yeah, the watches, I think, are pretty amazing. Um, the technology in them has really come a long way. So they now are actually measuring something in you. Um, and they do it through a combination of light, uh, light emissions that are bouncing off, off your uh, system and also electrical input. So some of the more sophisticated ones not only can measure your heart rate, but also your actual EKG, like as if, you know, your electrical signals of your heart. And some of them are can be life-saving because they actually can detect arrhythmias, which are irregular heart rhythms. And so I know even with my own patients, they've um, had warnings that came up through their iWatches and things like that um, and different, different uh, technology that can detect that. Some of the sleep monitors don't really do the EKG component. It's just a light type of thing to try to see is your heart rate slowed down? Is your heart rate is it speeding up? So the sleep technology so far is good, but it's not as good as they claim it to be. Um, and, you know, so we're looking at like new things that are going to be coming out soon, I think. And I think Andrea knows of some kind of sleep gadget that's coming, yes. but there are some new technologies coming for, for better sleep monitoring. Um, I do have to put in a plug for my nephew has something coming out called Oslo Sleep Buds. Hmm. And they're a new kind of sleep bud that is created so that you can sleep better. Oh. And it will, like they were designed for sleep so that you, you know, other sleep buds are not designed for people sleeping. And he said that they will have stuff in them so that you can understand how you can sleep better. Like hmm. there's um, information that can be programmed into them, I think. And it will analyze all the um, environmental stuff that's going on around you so that at the end of the night, you can track what's been happening and you can personalize it for your own sleep. There's all kinds of information on it. I think they'll be available in January. So that sounds like so, something that's like... Um, you know, not really detecting your personal input, biologic input, but it's detecting your sleep environment and providing some input maybe on that to improve the quality, which is also good it's, information. It's all to improve the quality mm -hmm. of your person. Hmm. It's, but it's for your personal. Right. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. So I think it'll be a good product for anybody who's having problems or issues with continuous sleep. Yeah, we talked. We talked in the past, uh, Doctor Cooper, about the importance of of getting good quality sleep because of the important hormones that definitely that, uh, regulate metabolism. Um, I, I wanted to just touch on something you just said, Doctor Cooper, about being really aware of arrhythmias in the heart. I know a guy who had um, what's that called? Is it AFib? Is that is yeah, that what it's called? AFib is a common one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and that's where the heart sort of flutters. Mm -hmm. And because it's not pumping efficiently, it can lead to blood clots, and that led to a stroke. Yes. And so the you know the blood clot forms in the heart, it goes up the neck into the brain, and then next thing you know, you have a stroke. Exactly. So these gadgets, you know, if if they can if they can detect an arrhythmia, 
that could save your life. It can, because especially dangerous ones can be the ones that like go in and out of the irregular rhythm. So you could be at your provider's clinic and they're not seeing anything irregular because that day it's normal. And so having these other devices that might pick it up, you know, on those off times is really valuable because when it goes in and out of that regular, irregular rhythm, you're, it, it causes more propensity towards those clot formation and throwing the clots. So I think they're, that's a great technology. And that actually, that technology came out quite a long time ago in the athletic world for just basic athletic heart rate monitoring with like the bands that you wear around your chest. They started to implement the EKG component of that long, long ago, because by measuring the electrical impulses from the heart, you can actually tell a lot about an athlete's training um, in terms of their fatigue level and um, whether they're adapting to that workout. And so there are some, there is the problem with some of the technology around that, because if you're an athlete and you have that built into it, it's called heart rate variability. Um, the problem is the interpretation that is made from that data is not always accurate. So the data itself is accurate, but then the gadgets have these programmed interpretations that come out that direct the athlete, you should take a recovery or you should do this. Those aren't necessarily accurate, the interpretive part of it. Hmm. Yeah, you really need an expert. Yeah, the technology yeah. though has been there for, gosh, you know, more than a decade. Well, this has been super informative and interesting. I think we need to recap what we've learned today, team. Andrea, any takeaways for you? I think we've learned that there are many, many gadgets. Some work, some do not. And that there are a lot of them that are very, very expensive and maybe good and maybe bad. <laughs> don't, trust, don't trust everything you read. Wow, that's, that is good advice. And I think the other big takeaway... I have to ask my wife first because this is a, you know, it's a shared piece of equipment, but I'm going to throw away my, my scale, Dr. Cooper, because the other big takeaway yeah. is you cannot trick your brain. No, let your brain yeah. rest from worrying about it and having to look no at that number. Don't obsess. Don't, yeah. Don't obsess. <laughs> don't obsess. Don't obsess and listen to your body. All right. Dr. Emily Cooper, Andrea Taylor, this has been another edition of Fat Science. Thank you so much for being with us again today. Thank you both. No diets, no agendas, just science that makes you feel better. See you next week. Bye. I'm Mark Wright. Thanks for listening to Fat Science with Dr. Emily Cooper, a Work P2P production. New episodes drop every Monday. If you've enjoyed the conversation, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. This production is for informational purposes only and is not intended to replace professional medical advice. Join us next week for another episode dedicated to the science of why we get fat. No diets, no agendas, just science that makes you feel better.